If that doesn't encourage you, I don't know what will. So singing those words, crying out those words to the Lord. Um, this is a special Sunday. Uh, this is Family First Sunday. So if you're a kid, can you just give me one clap? Some of you are adults, uh, so I know that's a little bit confusing for you. If you see a kid sitting around you, would you give them a high five and tell them you're glad that they're here and mean it? So the purpose and the reason why we do Family First Sunday is that uh, I am an old youth pastor, uh, and one of the things that happened in my generation of youth ministry is that when youth go off to college, they did not feel like they were connected to the church. So the purpose of this, the reason why we have kids in here on the first Sunday of every month is so that they can see their parents worship. And that they feel connected that this is their church as they continue to grow. And so I'm glad that you're in here. It'll probably be a little bit louder. It'll probably be a little bit shorter message. Don't bank on it. Uh, But that's usually by design that kind of comes with this. And can we celebrate something? Um, A young man told me something right before uh, the service started. Uh, But Wyatt, can you just quietly wave at everybody? Uh, Wyatt accepted Christ this last week at home. Is that an exciting thing? And and now mama's crying. Um, Some other mamas are crying. I may tear up. I don't know. Uh, But isn't that a sweet moment that these kids, adults around this church are putting their faith and trust in Christ. And so that was the pre-sermon. Now let's get into it. Uh, We have been starting in a series called Why Not Now over these past couple of weeks. And so this week, we are going to continue that series. And can you just say it with me? Why not now? Ready? Listen, this should be something that we're continually pouring over in our heart. And this morning's question is, why not now create healthy or good friendships? Now, I want you to think, because we have a lot of views of some iconic friendships that I want to look into a little bit this morning. Uh, Some of them are going to be from your age bracket. Some of them you're not going to know. Some of them are from other age brackets. Uh, But one of the first and one of my favorites is from Boy Meets World. Are we ready? Anybody Boy Meets World like that age group? Good. Um, I love Sean and Corey's relationship as friends. One is the good one. One is the struggling one. And they're continually going back and forth. This next one is one of the iconic friendships that, who is that? Should we just play Danger Zone right now? Just to... I feel like we would be so excited with that, but there's Goose and Maverick, iconic friendships. One is, uh, I won't spoil them. Has anybody not seen the movie at this point? (laughs) You haven't seen? Okay. Church, let's pause and pray for those (laughs) that have it. The next one, the title of this series is Friends. Uh, This is Rachel Green and Monica Seller. Their friendship comes along with a lot of baggage and a lot of struggle that comes with this. Uh, This is for all of my old school fans. Fred and Barney Rubble, for those of you that don't know. Kids, if you're looking at this wondering who this is, make sure this afternoon that your parents show you an episode of The Flintstones. Okay, can we do that? Yeah, madame, do. Great. Uh, The next one, uh, I love Lucy. Man, Lucy and Ethel were great friends and they were continually back and forth. This one's a little bit more up to date with 
Stranger Things, Stephen Dustin, and then the iconic Toy Story with Woody and Buzz, constantly trying to keep each other out of trouble, constantly trying to help each other. And then listen, this is one of my favorites from being a kid and it being remade, Transformers, Optimus Prime and Bumblebee. Listen, all of us need a friend that doesn't say a word. <laughs> Amen? I mean, that's, that's just paramount for this. But as you see some of these friendships, a lot of times we mimic or we put together how we are going to be a friend based on somebody that we've watched on TV. And listen, one of the main drivers that shapes our friendships, how we conduct ourselves as friends and who we are as friends is what we watch on TV. Now, let me give you just a side note. Parents, this is why it is super important that you know what your kids are watching. Man, these influences are more subtle and quicker than we ever could imagine. And so the main driver, the main thing that should be the focus of how we set our friendships up is Scripture's definition of friendship. Listen, one of the least things that is taught in the home today is how we surround ourselves with friends. We kind of look and we say, well, whatever neighborhood we're in, we'll just end up with those families or those kids. Look, Scripture gives us a clear dynamic, a clear presentation of what godly friendships should look like. But before we go there, how many of you have just one friend that every time you hang out with them, you get in trouble? Honesty, good. Let me reveal a little bit about how I grew up. Um, I have a brother who's two years older, and we were probably the ones that influenced a lot of other people to get in trouble. Maybe you're that friend. But we had two friends that every time that we hung out, we were all going to get in trouble. And it would be the four of us. It would be Jeff and Jamie and then Matt and Mark Lee. And every time that we would get together, we would get in trouble. I have been kicked off of lakes with them. Do you know how hard it is to get kicked off of a lake? When the whole lake, when jet skis first came out, they escorted us to the dock, but we thought it was the coolest thing to jump the wake of the boat within inches of the boat. And sure enough, that's not allowed. And so they warned us one time, and we just couldn't resist. And to tell you how real this was, this wasn't on the jet skis that you sit on. These were the old stand-up jet skis. So finally, the boat patrol came and said, you're off of the lake. Don't ever come back. We're like, we just got the jet skis. Uh, But that was it. We got in trouble after we got off of the lake. We went to a grocery store because if you can't get on the water, you have to eat, right? Right. And so one of the things, and I have no idea why other individuals, but they said, hey, let's, do you remember at the bakery where they had those pies and all those things with just uh, saran wrap on top of them? We poked our finger in every one of them. We just wanted to make them sweeter. I have no idea why, but for some reason, The dad found out as soon as we got in the car, we were laughing, and he's like, what'd you do? What do you mean? (laughs) He goes, I'm not stupid. Nobody said that, sir. And I remember a racquetball racket coming out, 
and all four of us getting beat with that racquetball racket. I just, that's kind of the way that I grew up. And listen, I could tell you story after story. Understand those are the easiest ones to tell a whole church. I could tell you story after story, finally to the point where my parents and the Lee's parents got together and said, our kids can't hang out anymore. And you know what? Me and my brother looked at each other and go, good call, parents. <laughs> that's, that's probably for the good. But good friends, how many of you have somebody that is a good friend that you hold on to and you know that you can go through anything with? I love this quote that Booker T. Washington says. He says, associate yourself with people of good quality, for it is better to be alone than with bad company. Imagine that. It is better to be with good people, people that you care about, people that genuinely care about you. But listen, good friends are so hard to find. If you look at those relationships, every one of them is complicated so much so that it's easier to walk away than to remain friends. Friendships take a ton of work. It takes you beginning to care for somebody else and making it a priority to be involved with their life and for them to be involved in your life. So I love that the scriptures give us a clear understanding of what friendship looks like. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20. And I love how scripture begins to kind of lay this out. And we'll look at three passages of scripture. And I hope that these will help you understand and encourage you in your friendships. The first is on wise friends. Chapter 13 and verse 20 of Proverbs says these words. If you don't understand the dynamic of Proverbs, every time you read one of the Proverbs, imagine a father talking to a son or a father talking to a daughter. And this is the dynamic of how this is shaped. And so when we get to this passage of scripture, imagine a father telling a son or a father telling a daughter these words. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools suffers, what does he say? Harm. Imagine that. If you surround yourself with people that are wise, you will be wise. Now, how do we define this? Wise individuals make good decisions. They think things through. They work diligently They are always trying to achieve some type of success. As you kind of hear those words, who is the wisest friend that you know of? Who is the wisest friend that you have? As I was studying this back and forth, I was thinking through this, and listen, God has blessed me and gifted me with a lot of wise individuals throughout my life. But the one that kind of came to mind, and maybe it's just because it was recent, was one of our first elders at this church. His name is Tom Bookout, and some of you may know him, some of you may remember him. And it's interesting because I was a very young pastor. And I was coming into this for the very first time, and listen, I may have thought that I knew everything. Anybody ever been in that situation? One of the things that I loved about Tom is that he would lovingly confront me over and over and over. 
He would tell me, Jeff, I don't think that you should do this. And he would lay out an understanding and an argument as to why. And then even if I made the decision, he would look at me and go, I promise you, I'll tell you when I'm right. And usually he was right. And it's crazy because a lot of times in our society, we don't want to be around the wise because they're not telling us exactly what we want to hear. I think about how he shaped me as a pastor, how he shaped me as an individual. I love this Augustine quote. It says, in this world, two things are essential, life and friendship. Both should be highly prized and we must not undervalue them. When you think about the definition of the foolish, kind of understanding what it means to be foolish. And listen, some of us like to be foolish at certain times and to be playful. But listen, there's a time to be wise and there's a time to be foolish. And as you continue to grow, you should not be foolish anymore. The foolish are this, they continually suffer from their mistakes. Have you ever seen somebody that just makes the same mistake over and over and over and over again? Maybe you're looking in the mirror. You're wondering, why am I continually doing this? Listen, maybe you're surrounding yourself with people that are not wise. Foolish are always in trouble. They're continually wrapping their brain about how to get out of a situation or how to fix something because they did not think it through to begin with. Who's the most foolish friend that you have? Look, I'm not going to mention this person's name <laughs> like I did with the wise guy. But all of us have this person in our life. I remember a friend of mine that we were um, jumping off of a bridge. Not my wiser moment. But I jump, and I get into the water, and I begin to swim out, and the other guy jumps he gets in and he says these words, hey, Jeff, I can't swim. <laughs> you better figure it out. That guy doggy paddled all the way out of the river. I'm thinking, how foolish were you to jump off of a bridge and not know how to swim? The second part that we need to look at in friendships, we've seen wise and foolish. Now we need to see what truthful friends are. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5 and 6, and I love this passage of scripture because it lays out what genuine friendship looks like. And he says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Now, how many of you love to be told when you're wrong? Okay. I mean, imagine this. Scripture is telling you it is better for somebody to openly tell you you are doing something wrong than hidden love. Then he gives this definition. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now picture this, because this takes a little bit of understanding. Have you ever been hurt by somebody that's a close friend because they told you the truth about something? Maybe you were a little bit unrested and you go, aren't you supposed to be my friend? 
They look at you and say, I am your friend. I love you. I care about you. This is why I'm telling you not to continue to go down this path. All of us should be thankful for the wounds that some friends have inflicted on us. Because a wound is not destruction. Tells the opposite of this. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Now imagine the deception of a kiss. The deception of an enemy that tries to get close to you and whisper into your ear what you can do to destroy your life. So let me lay this out just a little bit. The wounds of a friend. One of the design and character flaws of Jeff Hubbard is that he is a truth teller. If you do not want an honest response, do not ask me the question. This was really tough in the early days of our marriage. My wife would ask me a question and I would tell her the honest truth and she would go, I was just looking for a little bit of support. For example, does this dress look good on me? No. It's not your color. She she said she stopped wearing dresses now too. I didn't know how to filter. I thought everybody wanted an honest opinion. I've learned a lot over the past 20 years. But it's interesting that sometimes a friend needs to tell you the truth and you got to be okay with it hurting your feelings. Look, can I talk to the kids for just a second? You need to surround yourself with people that will be very honest with you. Look, people that are honest with you genuinely care. The deception of the world is this way. We're telling kids and we're telling individuals and parents are telling kids Only surround yourself with people that will tell you what you want to hear. And listen, that is not a friend. I can tell you time after time after time that I know what the person is wanting to to hear, but it's not what's best for them. Kids, be an honest friend. Surround yourself with people that will genuinely be honest with you. The kisses of an enemy. An enemy doesn't truly care about you. I love this illustration and it kind of popped in my head as I was studying this sermon. Anybody ever been hunting with somebody else? Now, one of the interesting things, and can I just expose all hunters at this point? You can be mad at me later. I have my guns too, okay? Um, the reality is when you, go to, uh, when you go with a friend to go hunting, they're not putting you in the best stand. You're laughing because I'm being truthful. A lot of times, they take you along so that you can help carry the deer when they kill it. Amen, hunters? Go ahead. This is a truth morning. And you sit in that stand fighting gnats and mosquitoes and hearing squirrels. You go, man, this isn't that much fun. 
The next time you go deer hunting, ask them to switch stands with you and see if they will because they're not letting you kill their big buck. And I think about it from this perspective. So many times we think people have the best intentions with us. But the reality is a lot of times they only care about themselves. And we have to be wise and decipher who genuinely is our friend and who is our enemy. Because they kind of mirror themselves sometimes. I think a lot of times when we have evil people or people that don't think that much of us, we have to learn to keep them at an arm's length. We, we don't just abandon them and leave them, but we care about them enough that we're still involved with their lives, but we keep them at an arm's length. Look, don't surround yourself with people that will continually use you over and over and over John Newton gives us a quote to help us understand this a little bit more. He says, I think to a feeling mind, there is no temporal pleasure equal to the pleasure of a friendship. Good friendships are truly enjoyable. And the last one, one of the most used passages of scripture for friendship is that we should sharpen each other. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, it says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And I think about this because this is something that's quoted and said, but sometimes we forget the dynamic of how it is to sharpen. And so this week, I bought myself a new knife sharpening kit. Now, how many of you have never sharpened a knife? Okay, up until last night, I was one of those guys. I would just go buy a new one. I had no idea. I had no understanding. So I've watched YouTube video after YouTube video. I've read the instructions. And hopefully I don't slice a finger this morning. Amen? But it's interesting that this is a stone that's used to sharpen a knife. It has two different grits on it. A 6,000 grit and a 1,000 grit. The higher grit is to smooth it off. The lower grit is to kind of dull the edges and make sure that it's sharp. The interesting thing, and I've got a couple of different knives up here. Uh, I didn't know what the service was going to hold, and I want to make sure I was protected. Special thing about this knife. Uh, years ago, I drove, and it was one of the first things that we did as a church, I drove a group of individuals, uh, senior adults, uh, to Gatlinburg and to Sevierville, Tennessee. Some of you were on that trip. Some of you criticized my driving the whole time. It's okay, I'm used to that. But a guy named Jerry Kirby and Robert Bird took me to a knife shop and said, we want to buy you a knife. If you're not a deer hunter, you won't understand, but something that you can skin a deer with really well. They said, we want to get you a good one. And listen, I, I wasn't heavily involved with deer hunting and I didn't really know a lot about knives. And so I, I'm, I'm super cheap when it comes to buying things for myself. And so they took me to one of the biggest knife stores in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And I looked around and I was like, how do we find which one? And they took me and they said, here's the one that you need. And this is a case knife. 
Okay, if you know anything about knives, it's a really good knife. And I, I remember having this knife, and I've had this knife for probably 10 years at this point. And I'd never sharpened it, and I finally just kind of stopped using it because it just wasn't that sharp. And so last night as I was beginning to kind of look at this passage of Scripture, I, I began to understand this a whole lot different from a friendship standpoint. Do you know how quickly we get dull if something doesn't sharpen us? And I love that Scripture uses this example because it takes time to do this. It takes an actual thought process. One of the things that you have to do is you have to soak this stone for 12 minutes in the water. I'm sitting there and I'm looking going, man, this is why I just buy new knives. But as I began to sharpen it, it takes a little bit of a careful touch. You can't just start sawing on the thing and hope for it to get sharp. You have to know the technique that is able to sharpen this knife. So as I took the knife, I would just kind of slowly guide it. Number one, because I didn't want to cut my finger off before church. But number two, just not really knowing how to do this and how to fulfill this. But I think one of the things that's lost in translation is that iron sharpens iron, is that the only thing that genuinely sharpens this knife is stone. A continued process, continued process, and then recognizing when it is dull and taking the time to find this, to bring this back out, and to continually sharpen that knife. Now, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about the individuals that gave me this knife. I think as much as they were trying to give me a knife, they were trying to give me a life lesson on what it means to continually sharpen those that are around you. The reason that this verse holds so much weight Because if we don't surround ourselves with people that are willing to sharpen us, willing to go with us, we will become very dull. I think before last night, this would barely cut butter, (laughs) warm butter at that. And now this would cut just about anything. I think of us as Christians For some reason, there's a dynamic that we don't want to surround ourselves with people that will sharpen us. We've become completely okay being dull. Think about this from a parent standpoint. One of the things that we did last year, Carly plays competitive softball, and we tried to find her a team that, that she wasn't the best on. I remember when we put her on this team, she was kind of excited, but she was kind of nervous because all of these girls were just a little bit better than what she was at that point. I remember we would talk in the car and she was playing right field and she dove and caught a ball, came up on her knees and threw the ball to second base and the coach said these words, nice throw. (laughs) She goes, dad, 
She didn't even notice that I dove to catch the ball at 11 years old. I said, kid, it's the expectation that all of these kids do that now. I think we have missed the boat. We continually put our kids in scenarios where they are the only one that shines. Can I tell you, there was more growth in Carly's softball development that year than ever before. I think we as Christians need to understand that iron sharpens iron. If your friends do not challenge you to be more godly, to be a better spouse, to be a better parent, you have the wrong friendships. Some questions to consider. Do I have friends around me that make me sharper? Look, it is work. It is a process. And the reality is that as long as I have this knife, it will stay sharp and it will grow dull. It takes a lifetime of sharpening to be the person that God wants us to be. This quote from Drew Hunter says, True friendship is an an affectionate bond forged between people as they persevere in the faith with trust, with truth and trust. So let me close with just a few evaluation things. The question is, why not now? Why not now evaluate your friendships? Do you have wise friends? Do you have wise friends that challenge you in most of the areas of your life to be a better spouse, to be a better parent, to be a better worker? It's interesting that one of the things that we hear a lot of times is if somebody works really hard in a job, they get criticized by everybody else around them. Hey, you're making the rest of us look bad. You're working too hard. And that's what society sees. What has to change is that has to begin to rub off on other people to say, man, I want to work diligent like them. I want to take this seriously. I want to do the work that God's called me to be, called me to do. Or do you have foolish friends? Listen, the reality is that we all do. The question is, do they influence you too much? You may have a Mark and Matt Lee in your life right now that every time you get together, trouble is brewing. And as much as that's an appeal to us, the reality is that is not a good, godly friendship. The next question of evaluation is, are you a godly friend? Kids, one of the things that I, I as, as your pastor, as somebody that loves you and genuinely cares for you, being the godly friend is going to be tough. People are going to look at you. They're going to laugh. They're going to criticize. They're going to wonder, why don't you participate in the foolishness that we're participating in? And I tell you, as hard as it is, the reward of pleasing God and honoring him and being the example of Christ that you need to be 
is far greater than that moment of fitting in. The reality is that many kids see parents continually try to fit in rather than stand out and be godly friends. I tell you that this morning because this comes with a little bit of a reality check. Why not now become the godly friend that you need to be? Do you realize that one of the greatest detriments to the Christian faith is how we conduct ourselves in friendships? That we're not willing to take a stand for the Lord. That we're not willing to uh, be kind of put out or on the outskirts so that we can continually represent Christ well. It's sad, but the world doesn't see anything different about how we live our lives than how we're constantly around the foolish individuals. As believers, Christians should be that influence in somebody's life that when something is going wrong, they come to us because we are wise. Are you sharpening others? Final thought. Why not now start building godly friendships? It's interesting that as soon as I say those words, the excuses begin to mount. I would lose too many friends. I would be all alone. I'm not sure I can help anyone. The truth is this. God has designed you to help sharpen someone else. And listen, without this stone... This is just an empty piece of wood. You can run your knife over it over and over and over, and I I, I promise you, I'm telling you the truth. The world is missing people that are willing to be sharpened with. Kids, as you go to school tomorrow, the next day, don't be that person that dulls everybody else. Be the person that sharpens. Here's the truth. God has designed you to help sharpen someone else. It's time to start using those relationship skills. C.S. Lewis, and I'll close with this quote, said, friendship is the greatest of worldly goods. Certainly to me, it is the chief happiness of life. Let me challenge you. If you don't have godly friends, then I would look around at this church and I would seek to be friends with some of these individuals. Look, for some, we live a life completely outside of the church and we live a life inside of the church. The reality is that we need to surround ourselves with individuals that will continually sharpen us. It's interesting, but I have about three to five genuine friends that I allow close enough into my life because they will sharpen me. They will 
they will be brutally honest with me. And I treasure that friendship. So many times in this world, somebody's going to tell you what you want to hear rather than what you need to hear. I think it's time for us as the church, time for us as believers to stop just looking at people and telling people what they want to hear. And listen, I'm not challenging you to be ugly or mean or judgmental or any of those things. One of the greatest treasures was that Tom Bookout continually did this in love. He would pull me aside, he would have a conversation with me, and it would come from a position of scriptural backing. And I love the fact that he matured me as a pastor. So I ask you, are you the friend that you need to be? And do you surround yourselves with godly friendships? If not, why not start now? If everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes. I know that sometimes when you hear a message on friendships, uh, we think that this is more of a youth message or a children's message. I think one of the things that's interesting is that it's neglected a lot of times within adults. We've kind of resolved ourselves to the people that are around us, the people that are going to be friends with us, and we just kind of stay resolute about those things. I tell you this morning, it's not too late to start friendships with individuals that will sharpen you. Look, being involved with a community group that is established here at the church, being involved with our men's group, being involved with our ladies group, I promise you, it will sharpen you every time you attend. If you're a kid and you're going to school tomorrow, and you're choosing whether or not to be around the foolish ones in the class or the wise ones, continually surround yourself with the wise kids. Let the Lord surround you and grow you and sharpen you and allow God to use you to sharpen others. Dear Father, I come to you this morning. Lord, seeking to be the friend, the godly friend that sharpens others. Father, I thank you for the way that you've blessed me with other friendships of individuals that sharpen me. Father, I thank you for people that are truth tellers, that do this in a loving fashion, in a loving way. Father, as we seek to glorify and honor you, help us to sharpen those that are around us. Father, if there's those, if there's those that are in here this morning that haven't been good friends, that have been foolish, Father, it's not too late for them to become wise. Father, help us to surround ourselves with people that will continually sharpen us. We love you and praise you this morning. In Christ's precious snowy name we pray, amen. If everybody would stand as we sing this last song of invitation. Listen, I know that a message like this uh, may cut deep a little bit in evaluating the friend that you are. But I challenge you to be the godly friend that he's called you to be and begin to sharpen those that are around you.